Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is a West Coast transplant to New York City, the author of Out of Stock, A Magician's Guide to Writing Your Own Lines, and an all-around wonderful human, Ryan Kane. Nicola Capo stops by the show to discuss the featured product of the week from Derek Ostevani. Before all that, we kick off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians talk about their favorite magic books. This week, one half of the psychic soulmates, Aria Flint, joins me on Desert Island Magic Books. Arya Flint, thanks so much for joining me here on Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you wash up on a desert island with one magic book, and it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to disintegrate in the wind and the rain and the sand. What is your Desert Island Magic Book? Okay, my Desert Island Magic Book is definitely uh, Ken Weber's Maximum Entertainment. What a sure. good book! Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pin you down here: Maximum Entertainment or Maximum Entertainment 2.0. Oh, God, you know what? Maximum Entertainment 2.0, I would say. <laughs> I figured that would be the answer. Since it's been updated. I, uh, so I see Ken Weber a lot at conventions, and I, I would like to consider him a friend, but he's a, he's a really, really interesting thinker when it comes to Maximum Entertainment. Why is, the, uh, why is this a book that speaks to you so much? Well, when I first got into performing with Anthem, I had very little performance experience, um, aside from, you know, the high school play here and there mm-hmm. and so you know coming into the performing world of magic it was very daunting to me and you know anthem just has this very like magnetic like he he's so confident and and that was something that i just i didn't have the confidence i was so scared on stage i had a lot of magician's guilt um and honestly when i when i read maximum entertainment i felt like somebody was holding my hand and saying it's gonna be okay here just just wear something nice you're gonna do okay (laughs) you know so i think that would be why ken has a really interesting way of breaking down entertainment and making you understand what it is you're doing up there and that if you're if you're standing on stage for a paycheck it's more than just the tricks right. you you are being paid to entertain this audience and not just fool them yes exactly is there anything in particular that, uh, from the book that that really like jumps out at you that that you uh, would want to share with our listeners um you know okay i think the section that helped me the most uh, honestly was on how to dress on stage mm. and i know that it was relief more for you know wear tux or wear you know wear something nice but for me it just made me think oh my gosh like what am I not doing you know Mm, what 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 in my appearance am I not paying attention to and I and it was like a huge reason why I feel like I didn't feel so confident on stage because not only did I not really know how to act on stage, I didn't really know how to dress on stage either. I think that whole section where he talks about you know appearance um, was really big for me. Appearance on stage is a funny thing because most magicians don't have like a very strong character or a strong costume that they can identify with. Like, you know, when I, 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 Mario the Maker is one of my favorite magicians. And when you, when you watch him walk onto stage, a lot of the stuff he's wearing is handmade. It's made by him and it's, it's very strong. Whereas when you look at other magicians, it's, it, it, there isn't that deep connection with the character that the, the costume has. Now for some magicians, it is, uh, a very deep connection. I know I have thought a lot about the way that I look on stage, which is why mm-hmm. I make very cho- uh, very specific choices about the colors of my shirt, my tie, the cut of my suit, the way it is. Uh, but that's all very specific to me. Right. And, uh, and I think that Ken Weber really does break it down well. 
I agree. Well, Aria, thanks so much for joining me here on Desert Island Magic Books. Yay, thanks for having me. Thanks to Aria for joining me on the show. You know, I thought with our primary interview being so focused on writing, we'd kick the show off with a book about performing. If you've never read Maximum Entertainment, I recommend you give it a whirl. There's a link to where you can find Maximum Entertainment in the show notes. On to the main event. Ryan Kane is an author and performer who was based in San Francisco until just a few weeks ago when he relocated to New York City. He's a well-known trade show magician presenting at some of the largest trade shows in the world. If you've ever walked the floor at the Consumer Electronics Show, you know that it's one of the toughest environments to not only pitch your clients' products, but also wow an audience with real magic. One of Ryan's secret weapons is his unique scripting that is highly personal to his voice and show. Ryan wrote a book, Out of Stock, that teaches a magician to develop their own scripts. I was introduced to him at the Shazam convention, where we immediately hit it off, and I knew I had to share his thoughts with you, our listeners. He joined me via Zoom, and now you get to join our conversation. Ryan Kane, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. You and I actually met at the Shazam convention, and I ended up staying up until way too much past my bedtime talking to you, but I wanted to have you on the show because you wrote a really great book called Out of Stock, which is how to write for your act, which I wish more people would do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, I wanted to write a book that that taught performers how to write at speed. So it's not just, okay, can your entire thing. It's let's take your existing show mm-hmm. and by, by means of getting rid of the stock material in your show, which everyone I think kind of agrees should go, learn to write your own material, learn to be more creative, learn how to write your original comedy, original presentations. So it, it, the book is called Out of Stock, A Magician's Guide to Writing Your Own Lines. And it, it's focused very, very specifically on replacing the stock and stolen material in your show with fresh original stuff and uses that as an on-ramp to writing. So when you say write at speed, do you mean like, do you mean like writing with your own, like your own voice and your own cadence and like, so that you don't sound like you're reciting a script? Because I think that's one mm-hmm. of the biggest problems with people who write magic is that the the routine that they write, like, it's like, they, it's like a monologue and then I do a slight and then another monologue and then I do right. another slight. And it that, sounds like that's not what you're talking about. Well, I'd love to talk about that. That's not what I talk about when I say writing when I say writing my, sh- cha- yeah. When I say uh, writing at speed and changing your show at speed, I mean that you don't have to stop performing. I don't want you to like you can uh. still be performing and doing your act, mm-hmm. but you're improving it slowly. It's, it's, so it's written for really myself at this, at any point, and other mm-hmm. professionals and semi pros who already have an act. And uh, I think a lot of these writing things just seem like this massive, you need to can everything. And again, get to that point where writing down a full script and memorizing it. um, And that's, I've kind of, there's a lot of techniques to, if Mm -hmm. you do get into that, I'm talking too much. First off, you have to recognize that nobody writes the way that they speak. So the first thing, man, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, I think that, there is a misconception that people who have these like beautifully written acts, like that they, they sat and wrote it out on paper. And that's just like, right. not at all. No, what, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but it's just like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really picking up what you're laying down here, Ryan. I really like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's, that's a huge part is like, you have to get it in your own voice. You have to test it through the audience. And then, and then it, it does come together as a script that then eventually can probably be written down. Um, but it's the first time I write a script, I almost always just chuck it and rewrite it immediately. 
Uh, there's going to be a couple things I'm trying. I try really, really, really hard. I, I don't always do this because of time constraints, but I try really hard not to run with the first draft of anything. Mm-hmm. It's you write it and then it's like, great. I did that. Let's start over and, and just write it. Compl- and you may go back to that first one, but just trying it and trying it in a different way. And you'll probably take like, Oh, this beat was really good. This is good. And this is cleaner. And then if you're the thing I can talk most about is I do a lot of trade shows mm-hmm. where memorization is really, really important. And it's not, I, I, I have to get certain things down, but even then you're taking jargon and technical stuff and usually things that um, are not intended to be spoken. They're intended to be read on a website and really they're not even intended to be read. They're just there uh, and trying to convert them. So, I, I write it out. I put that in a script. I say the script 10 times. I perform it 10 times and I'm making corrections and like, this is too annoying. This line doesn't make sense. I'm going to change these words. And then I retype it because now just by performing it, I've converted it more into my voice. That's yeah. a very structured process that I do not do for everything. But if you're doing a TV experience or you're doing a very important show, that is always what I do to make sure that I've, I've got this, I've got this perfect. I mean, what you just described is is something that uh, that I've done for years, and that I've always called it writing through play because I'm doing mm-hmm. that. I'm I'm like I'm performing the stuff like alone in my office to a blank wall, but it's just I'm I'm very conscious of like listening to my own voice and like does that sound like something I would say? Is it awkward coming off of my tongue? Because I, like I write a lot of like text, but the way I sound in text and the way I sound on stage are too like very different people yep and you know and when i go to magic competitions or or go to like a convention and i see somebody performing something like i can tell if a person has like never like they've never like tried to structure that routine the way that they talk because when i talk to some of these people afterwards like they talk so much differently than they perform and i like i like the person i meet afterwards and not the person i meet on stage which is not like an insulting thing it's just that like it's I would prefer hearing somebody more natural sounding. That gets back to your previous point about so many performers having the monologue and then the trick or then the interaction, right? And you get this like coming out, ask a question. Do you believe in fate? Well, I believe in fate. When you really think about it, blah, 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 blah. So that's it. Let's do a card trick, right? We, we know this formula and, and very often that, that monologue part. And I, I think any time a performer says, three sentences or more without action, that's a monologue. That's not technically mm-hmm. a monologue, but it feels like a freaking monologue to people. So that's, and that, that's where it gets very unnatural because people don't really talk like that. Um, so if, if you are a performer that falls into that trap, two things. One is look at that monologue. And I try to think of always writing specifically like themes and stuff instead of writing it, uh, vertically write it horizontally so take Mm. that and piece it out throughout the routine so if you know you've if you've got this you know it's probably like 45 seconds of talking take the first line say it at the top get some audience interaction great now once they're picking the card showing that around say the second line or something split it up so it feels more conversational it feels more organic and you'll also find things that you just don't need to say you'll figure out stuff that can be cut just by doing that simple process. And if it has to be a monologue, uh, start the action first. Make sure that the card is already selected and the the ball is rolling before you pause to pause it to everyone. If you take your existing script and you write it out and then you take a 
like a Sharpie marker and you just scratch through everything that doesn't advance the action in your script, you'll be worlds better. But to there, sometimes there are things that need to be said, especially like, you know, I perform for adults. And so I like to deal with sort of like more conceptual ideas. There's, there's a reason that I don't do magic for kids. I once did a, 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 a sort of like oil and water, like a full deck oil and water routine, you know, where the, the subject that we were talking about was the Mandela effect. So we're dealing with memory and alternate realities. <laughs> it's, I don't perform for children is what I'm getting yeah. at. Same. same. Uh, and I've, I've, I've done yeah. maybe five kids shows in my life. Yeah. So we're right there. But if you if you just do such a, like a simple action like shuffling the deck of cards or gathering the cards together while you're talking, it's still an action moving forward and it doesn't feel like a monologue to your audience because you may need to get out something lengthy. But like what you're talking about with like doing some sort of activity while you're talking is just like it makes the show feel like so much less dry and boring. When in my virtual shows, I have a series of opening jokes that are just, you know, 30 minutes of stand up, and I'm always rolling up my sleeves while I do it mm. because that's an action. I mm -hmm. don't, as I had a really kind of not traumatic experience, but I was doing a gig very early on in my career where I came out and did a bunch of jokes at some gig. And uh, I got heckled and was like, come on, get to the magic. So yeah. that's always stuck with me. So I'm always like, we, I, can, I can stop, but I always feel like I have to be, I'm a magician. Mm -hmm. I have to be progressing the magic. And I, if I'm gonna buy time to talk, it better be fast or it better be funny. And, and really when it comes to mm -hmm. shows, like I don't really feel comfortable talking about me until 20 minutes in. It's yeah. like, I got to prove to you I'm good. And I want you wondering like, who the hell is this guy? And then I'll be like, hey, you know what? This is who I am. Um, and even then it's in the plot. Yeah, like even like some of the best comedy magicians, like they they are very acutely aware that because they're introduced as a magician that like they may be a better comedian than they are a magician, but they are still acutely aware that when you put magic in there, in the title, in the introduction, there's got to be enough magic in there to keep to not make people wonder why you were introduced as a magician. Because if they're ever wondering yeah. why you, why you were introduced as a magician, you've already lost the battle. Yeah, and you have to have really able. Harrison Greenbaum is a great example of someone who really has a level comedy, and so mm -hmm. he can go walk out. I mean, and and own you and, and, and you're like excited, you know, like he doesn't have to do a trick in the first 30 seconds because his, his comedy is that level. Yeah. Um, but I'm not at that level. I still feel like I have to get in and do some magic and then get to the comedy. And, the, and that's why, although I am a comedy magician and I do a lot of comedy and I enjoy writing comedy, I still think of myself more as a magician and comedy is just another aspect of what I can do and a tool that has been invaluable for dealing with situations, uh, as a host, as a, as a crowd gatherer, as a presenter, et cetera. And I think that it's important for people to, to understand now, this is a conversation between two comedy magicians about writing, but everything that we're talking about still applies to people who are not comedy magicians. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Derek Ostevani's Treasury. Nicola Capo joined me via Discord to discuss this million dollar miracle that happens to a one dollar bill. Nick, I think it's finally time we tell the audience at home about this new utility device that you can use with dollar bills by Derek Ostevani. No, Let's tell people about no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have to tell people about Treasury. Uh, they're going to get a deal on it, too? Yeah, they're going to get a deal on it. Oh, no. Uh, so I knew this day was going to come, uh, but this is a... Uh... 
Are we finally talking about a secret that Nick Lacapo <laughs> doesn't want to share with the world? This is good, though. I mean, this oh, is really so good. good. Treasury, what it is, is you, you're going to borrow a dollar from somebody, uh, and they can sign it. They can put their name on it, and they're also going to choose a card. Now, you're going to find the card, and, and really, you're going to learn various routines on here on the, that come with the with the Treasury gimmick. You're going to get a, a video. But ultimately, the card trick can kind of be up to you, uh, but you will learn some. Because that's not the point. The point is, <laughs> when you, uh, you then call your attention to the dollar bill, and what you do is you kind of show them where the treasurer's signature is, and then you start to rub it, right? And the ink will visually transform from the treasurer's signature on the dollar bill into a written playing card reveal. So it'll change from whatever the signature's name is, the treasurer's name is, into something that says six of hearts, uh, which, of course, would match the spectator's selection, right? After that, you get to give the bill away. I think that's the amazing part here, is that not only are you transforming the signature of the U.S. Treasury Secretary on a dollar bill, but you can give it away. You can even borrow the bill, do the trick, and then give it back, and and they can keep it. And it's just... it's. What we're talking about here is uh, a variation on Paul Harris's counterfeit spectator. Mm -hmm. But the problem in the past was always, how do you change that signature? And there was a lot of messy stuff involved. You had to either have a fancy printer or go to a printer or something like that. And this takes all of that out of it. Right. You're going to learn a secret on how to alter a dollar bill. And, and that secret itself is cool. You can do a lot with it. But then... The actual transformation of the signature that this utility device allows you to do, just it, it makes life a lot easier. And if you ever messed with anything like this before, you know the difficult part, and this takes the difficult part and makes it super easy. Yeah, it cuts it cuts the the setup in half. Uh, if, if you're this two people out there, right? One that know this general secret that we're talking about, and then there's the other people who have never heard of such a thing, uh, and that that's part of the awesome thing of behind this project is that you're not you're not only going to learn this routine but you're also going to learn this like this is one of the coolest secrets i learned when i first got into magic right the the idea of manipulating a u.s currency so that you can replace it with something sneaky um and again like you were just saying the treasury gimmick cuts the printer part out of this uh, so you still have to prepare the gimmicks at home. You're going to learn how to do that on the video, but you no longer have to like, you could just, just think about this. You could set up a little kit, right? And bring it with you on the road so that you can prepare the bills in whatever hotel room you're in and not worry about having your laptop and a printer there with you either. So it turns it into a much more practical thing to travel around with. Man, altering the, the ink on U.S. currency is super powerful because everyone you perform for knows that this is like a very secure piece of paper and being able to change that ink, that just makes your powers next level. This is, and Treasury yes. by Derek Ostevani makes that power look really accessible to a lot of magicians. This is a trick that people remember you for forever. 
I <laughs> after I saw David Blaine perform a variation of this on um, on one of his old Street Magic specials, basically he transformed the Treasurer's signature into the Spectator's signature, which is the Paul Harris routine uh, that you alluded to at the beginning. Um, I did this for one of the first celebrities I ever performed for before he was a celebrity, uh, DJ Pauly D, uh, way back in the day, <laughs> transformed a dollar into uh, the Treasurer's signature into his signature, and he carried that bill around forever. Uh, and this will be the same thing with your spectators when you transform their bill into their playing card. It's the same reaction. These are the that those are the those are the tricks that you want to do for people. That was Treasury by Derek Ostavani. As always, listeners to the podcast get a special discount on the featured product of the week. This week, you'll get 25% off when you enter the discount code SIGNATURE at checkout. That's SIGNATURE, S-I-G-N-A-T-U-R-E, for 25% off this incredible gimmick that lets you transform the ink on a dollar bill. Now, that code is only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Ryan Kane. This is a conversation between two comedy magicians about writing, but everything that we're talking about still applies to people who are not comedy magicians. And it's okay if you're not a comedy magician and you're just charming. Like that, yes. there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that, but you still need to apply some of the writing techniques that and the performance techniques that Ryan is talking about to your show. I also think that most everyone is a comedy magician. I don't think yeah. levity is prevalent in pretty much all media. I mean, Game of Thrones has jokes in it, right? Yeah. And most magicians, unless, and again, the other, I think there's this dichotomy of like, you're either a serious magician or you're a comedy magician. It's like, it's really not that. Like, there's no such thing as a serious magician. There's, mm-hmm. you got to have something else. And you probably have jokes in your show. And so you're probably having some laughter because people's reactions are things. So, you need to, the thing I, I, I would pressure you and this goes back to what you were talking about, mm-hmm. make sure that you have actual content that you're sharing. If you're mm-hmm. ever turning and just trying to mine your audience members for content, for something relatable or some laugh, that's a problem. And you should flag that and be like, I need a good line here. I need a good question or a good something interesting to provide other than just saying, oh, you're eight. Oh, you know, do you like being eight? Like, where are we going with that? Like, if you're going to start this tangent, where are you going? Crowd work is a very specific skill set that not everyone has. And it's important to recognize when you are yep. not a particularly good, like, good at crowd work. I uh, I was at the Keller Comedy and Magic Club maybe two weeks ago, which was exciting because I was back on a stage. But uh, I was featuring for a comedian who probably did... 25 minutes of crowd work before he told one of his like written jokes but the thing was he was so good at crowd work that it was like it was a pleasure to watch every time he went on stage and I've seen comedians who are great comedians but not good at crowd work and it just like it just sucks all the energy out of the room and I think that if you can replace crowd work with lines like you're talking about that are good and interesting they don't even need to be funny they just need to capture people's interest that's a much more valuable skill Yeah. And the book goes into more than just writing comedy. It is about how to write lines, how to be prepared. The illusion of being so quick on your feet and having an answer for everything is an illusion. You performers that can do really great crowd work do so because they've been doing a long time. So they know they have banks, they've encountered people wearing silly shirts before, et cetera. So they actually have material. Gazzo comes across as being really quick on his feet and really funny, but it's just because he's got a gigantic bank of lines and experience. The problem is none of them are his. 
Um, and <laughs> when I was doing essentially his act, yeah. none of them were mine. And I wanted to have that same bank so that I could have that being able to interact with any situation, but I wanted to feel good about those jokes being original. And that's why I set out to systematically replace the, the, the jokes in my show that weren't mine. And that process is what transformed into the book that uh, you can get on Amazon for 16 bucks. If you, uh, if you get this book, are there, is there, I'm assuming you have like workshop things that you describe to the reader to be able to like lead them through it. So it's not just like a, a diatribe on like change your stuff out. It's like a how to nope. guide. No, it is. Yeah. It's very, and it's not like a how to guide where it has like blank pages and like fill this out. Cause I, most of those I think are terrible, but it is a step-by-step -step process. The, the outline of the book is essentially uh, there's, there are, there are essays that are instructions that literally say like, you know, step one is go through your show, uh, a recording of your show, not a script, like a live recording of your show. And you're going to write down every joke that you say that is in yours. Um, and you're also going to write down, you know, what you say just before it and what happens just after it, et cetera. And so that's the thing. And then it says, all right, go do that. Now the book tells you set this down and go do that now. Now, most people don't because the problem is being a street performer uh, and, and being, being a, a writer that doesn't want you to put the book down because that's just not my nature. Most people read the whole book front to back like really quickly. But there's always a break between those parts where then I have another essay that addresses something else performance wise. Um, and most of these are, are fun. So I have like a, a toast that I say to a trick that I'm retiring or a joke that I'm retiring. And I have, I have a 10 commandments of close up magic essay that are also in there that um, are there kind of as palate cleansers and kind of breaks. And then you start back up with step two, which is, all right, now let's look at your stock lines and we're going to, um, we're going to analyze them to figure out their contexts uh, to figure out what they, what they do in your show. And, and, and then, and then we're off. off the I was going to ask you for one thing that, an, that our listeners could do immediately to start improving it. And you already gave it to them. So I, yeah. I like that you're, you're already 11 steps ahead of me and I like it. Uh, Ryan Kane, author of Out of Stock. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. Look forward to having you back soon and seeing your show now that we can go out and do that. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Ryan Kane for the conversation and thanks to you for listening. As a heads up, my 100th episode is fast approaching and I have something special in store for you. But if you want to find out what that is, you'll have to listen next week. Speaking of next week, my guest will be the author of the hit book Tesseract. Mike Powers will be my guest. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform you share the results of your latest BuzzFeed quiz on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you'll have to first discover what the airspeed of an unweighted swallow is. And by asking that question, I fully expect those of you in the know to hit me with the appropriate follow-up question on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. Practice.